You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to uh, week seven, week seven of uh, Reshape. How the reality of Jesus reshapes everything. And uh, tonight, we're going to have a lot of fun. As if politics wasn't fun enough, this is even going to be funner. Um, yeah, we're going to look at some, uh, some interesting things tonight. In, in order to begin, um, let me pray, and then I'm going to do something that uh, I don't do very often. I'm going to recite a poem. Now, when I say this, you need to realize, I don't understand poetry, but I get this one a little bit. So... I'll recite this, uh, this poem, it's in your notes. It's actually a, a very cool poem by uh, T.S. Eliot from the early 20th century. But uh, let's begin with prayer. Jesus, we come to you recognizing that we are completely dependent upon you. You are our Lord. You are the crucified and risen one. And our lives will only work insofar as they're aligned to you. For you are the truth, the life, and the way. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. And we claim and we hold on to the reality that you have history in your hands. For when we look out in this world, our hearts get a little anxious. When we see all the things that are taking place all around the world, especially in Ukraine and in Russia, but we are reminded that you are sovereign and that you are good and that you are in control. And we hold on to that. And part of the challenge is believing what we say we believe. And so, Lord, we pray that you would impress these truths into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, tonight we are going to be looking at technology and imagination. Now, on Saturday... I spoke to our men a little bit on technology. And there's going to be some, some overlap, but there's, there's also some, we're going to be able to dive in a lot deeper. But with the guys, we only had maybe 25 minutes to talk about this. We have lots of time tonight, so we're going to dive in a, a little bit. But one of the ways I like to frame our conversation is with this poem by T.S. Eliot. And it's from a poem called Choruses from the Rock. And it goes like this, it says, and you see it in your notes. The eagle soars in the summit of heaven. The hunter and his dogs pursue the circuit, referring to the constellations of stars. O perpetual revolution of configured stars. O perpetual recurrence of determined seasons. O world of spring and autumn, birth and dying. The endless cycle of idea and action. Endless invention endless experiment brings knowledge of motion but not of stillness knowledge of speech but not of silence knowledge of words and ignorance of the word all our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance all our ignorance brings us nearer to death but nearer to death no nearer to god where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? 
Where is the knowledge we've lost in information? The cycles of heaven in 20 centuries bring us farther from God and nearer to the dust. Now, this is interesting. T.S. Eliot, he writes this in the early 20th century. And he's already asking the question, where is the wisdom we've lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? The cycles of heaven in 20 centuries brings us no nearer to God, but nearer to the dust. And so tonight what we're going to be talking about is this proliferation of, a, of an information age, for one. And we're going to talk about technology. And especially how technology monopolizes almost every aspect of life. And um, there's a fellow named Neil Postman. How many of you have ever heard of Neil Postman? Yeah, I see a couple of hands. He was quite big in the 80s. I wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death on, on the impact of TV. But the other book that he wrote, and we're going to come back to this, is the book Technopoly, where he talks about the monopoly of technology and a technocratic way of thinking in our culture and its impact upon us. And he says this, he says, Technopoly is a state of culture, it's also a state of mind. It consists in the deification of technology, which means that the culture seeks its authority in technology, finds its satisfaction in technology, and takes its orders from technology. This requires the development of a new kind of social order, and of necessity leads to a rapid dissolution of much that is associated with traditional beliefs. This is going to be interesting tonight. But what I want to do is I want to start off, because here's the thing. We're talking about technology. I have Zoom open. I'm talking to you online, and so you guys can see them on, on the screen, and we're, sitting, like, we're surrounded by technology. So it's not like every bit of technology is bad. Of course not. Um, so what I want you to do is kind of have fun. You guys can use the chat line. <laughs> the chat line, that sounds kind of weird. <laughs> the chat function. <laughs> no, I won't say anything more. Um, so where you will talk, uh, so you guys could write your five things, five effects that technology has had upon your life for good or for bad. So you guys write that on, on the chat function. And you guys just talk among yourselves just for a few minutes come up with five impacts, five effects that technology has had upon you for good or for bad. Go. Okay, okay so we have uh, got a lots and lots of comments on here for good or for bad. There's talk about the connection. You could travel around the world in the morning just through your screen. Uh, you can connect with friends from far away. Uh, see them right through Zoom, through different things. So those are some good things. Distracts, um, negative. Uh, it, it, one of the things that somebody pointed out is that you're always at work. You're never really away from work. I see Eve going. Yes, I know. <laughs> I get that. Right. Let me hear from you guys. What are some uh, What are some good things about technology that we haven't talked about? Yeah, okay, so safety mechanisms in, in, in vehicles, like the automatic braking if something comes in front of you or a signal behind you if you're back. Finding it. Do um, you want the fire on? I don't think I need it.
Yeah, so with the advent of YouTube, even a person who knows nothing about plumbing can do plumbing, right? In theory, right? <laughs> or you can watch somebody do plumbing and then try to do it yourself. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you ever want to see just um, really funny comedy on TV, just watch me doing a YouTube and trying to do something in person. It's, uh, it's, it's not good. Um, what else? Okay, so it exposes things that are hidden, like um, sins that are hidden, such as uh, racial injustice. That's good, very good, yeah. It brings it to, uh, to, to people's attention, where otherwise it might be buried or, yeah. Yeah, Sharon? Oh, like, like amazing medical advancements. Yeah, amazing medical advancements, absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah, just, I mean, just the, the wonder of what NASA is doing and in, in reaching out into the universe and um, sending, a, you know, what's the, Europe is sending up, well, they were planning to send up a, a Mars rover and the space station and things like that. Yeah, there's, there's quite, it's quite wondrous in many ways, right? Yeah. What's that? Oh, okay. Is that the latest one that was just went up recently? It, went, it goes way out, it goes further out there, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's quite, quite fascinating what, what people can do. Um, I like Jessica, enabled you to be homeschooled, movies, entertainment, helps with banking and accounting, unless you donate to truckers, but no. Um, <laughs> sorry, I did not say that, strike that from the, uh, too many distractions, help me organize my notes, very good. Um, it kills mystique. Oh, interesting. What else? What would be a negative thing? My embodied friends. What would? Harder to sleep. Harder to sleep because of notifications. Uh, light noise. Light noise. Oh, right. So the the with so much screen, it's hard to shut things down. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Sorry. What was that? <laughs> That was a bad joke. <laughs> that was bad. I always use that one whenever. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> no, it is, but it does shorten. And we're going to talk about that uh, specifically tonight. Shortens attention span. Like it used to be, I could read a book for two hours. Like I could just read. You sit down, you read a book for two hours. After five minutes, I'm like, huh, I think the Leafs are playing tonight. Actually, they're playing last night. I know the score, but I, I kind of want to see the highlights again. Because uh, they actually won. Sorry? Basketball? Leafs? Maxine, come on. Raptors, Raptors, yeah, yeah. No, no, this is, this is hockey. Okay, yeah, so desensitizes you to violence, and it could just be not just through TV, it could be through some pretty violent video games or different things, or even... TV started it, yeah. that was a precursor. It's always TV, this, yeah.
kids were teenagers, early <coughs> teens, boys meets girls, they go on their first date, then they go to one of their places right. to do what shouldn't start yes. So one of the things that technology does, it can introduce a worldview or worldviews that run up against a Christian worldview, but if you see it enough times, it begins to influence you. But Very. it also has nothing to do with Christianity. It also helping and specializing in human development. It isn't a healthy uh, mechanism. So just from a human perspective, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's very good. Yes. Well, not, yeah, I mean, we could talk. Actually, we should do, yeah, something on pop culture. Um, anyhow. Um, okay, so. Yeah. Well, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the prevalence of the influence of technology and how technology can affect our soul. Okay, so um, look in your notes. And we've touched on this. We touched on this in our one session on how we got to now. But the roots of the technological explosion occurred in the modern world and it coexists with modern, with the rise of modern science. So when we're talking about technology, we do realize that right from the beginning of humanity, the moment somebody picked up a rock and, hey, this works really good, um, whether to bash somebody or to hammer in something, tools have been around and technology has been around for a long time. So long, so wherever there's human beings, there's technology. But something changes in the period called the Enlightenment in the 18th century. And in the 18th century, um, technology takes a very, very prominent role. Uh, and again, it coexists with the rise of modern science because science... What does science do? One of the goals of science is to simply try to accurately describe reality. That's what science does. It tries to accurately describe reality, approximate reality. And um, when you look at science, there's like a number of things that science values. One is certainty. They try to, as much as possible, be, be as, as certain as they can to get as close as they can to reality, to describing reality, recognizing that they're not quite there, there will always be a theory or something will come along that will do better. Secondly, accuracy is important. The language of modern science is the language of mathematics, which is a pretty precise language, right? The other thing is control. Control is a big deal. But for our purposes tonight, one of the key ingredients um, to modern science is the influence of technique and technology. Uh, modern science, right from the beginning, was associated with technique and how we can master or gain knowledge over the world uh, and how we can use tools to achieve an end. So if I was to summarize so far, the cultural context in which science evolved was entirely technological. Practical purposes for the scientific knowledge gained. Society has sought to make things and to use things to gain more understanding, information and knowledge, and technology is a tool to achieve this. So technology is a tool to achieve. But here's the point tonight. Here's the point. Is when we think about technology, we think of a simple neutral tool to achieve an end. 
But what I would like to argue tonight, it's not just me, there's a number of books coming out on this, is that technique, technology is not neutral. It actually shapes the way we think, it shapes the way we see the world, and we'll get into this in a few weeks, but I think that much of our confusion that we have about gender and sexuality is linked to a technological world more than anything else. And we'll talk about that, um, especially more, more in a couple weeks. And I think there's a connection between the tools we use and how we see the world and how we see ourselves. And the technology is not as neutral as we think. So tonight, we're not going to be saying, okay, this is how you need to cut down on your cell phone, or this is how you need to... I'm not going to be giving you five ways to cut down on the role of technology in your life. That's not... Hopefully that will be the implication. But what I want to do tonight is just show you how technology can, can affect our minds. Um, the key work in this, again, is Neil Postman and his work Technopoly. Um, and it, Postman argues that technology has become the very heart, the very core of American culture. And culture is surrendered to technology. And, and what was intended for good, solving many of the problems in the world, making the world a better place, which, which, it, which it has and it still does, has been pulled out of its original intention. And instead, what we have is a technical attitude that is developing. So what are we going to do right now is we're going to talk about how does technology shape our mind? How does it shape the way we see the world? Okay. Um, well, I think it gives us a, it forms this technical attitude towards life as a general, in, in general. And what results, though, in a technological world is what G.K. Chesterton in the early 20th century called the great modern heresy. Without looking at your notes, does anybody know what that is? Some of you looked ahead. I know what it is. What is a great modern heresy? Does anybody know? The great modern heresy is this, is that technology exists originally for us to use to accomplish our goals. But what happens is technology develops to the point where you and I have to adjust our lives to fit into technology. And if you don't think that's true, <laughs> try going to a hotel and see if you can just use cash to stay at a hotel or try to book a flight without using digital money, a credit card. Um, you can go on, but what has happened, and Chesterton sees this in the early 20th century, this is early. He sees that what is happening is, is that humanity is starting to adjust itself in order to fit into this technological momentum that's just kind of running on its own. Um, it, any of you who own a cell phone will know that if you want to own a cell phone, you have to fit into a technological mindset because... Very soon, soon and very soon, my iPhone 6S is not going to be updatable. <laughs> I'm right hanging on by a thread. 
but I know that the very next major update is going to exclude the success. And so what do I do? Well, in order to kind of avoid a lot of headaches or whatever, I'm going to have to upgrade. I'm going to have to fit in to the direction that technology is going. Um, so what does a technological world value? And how does this affect our Christian lives? Well, let's look at a few things. One, a technological world begins with the self. The self is very important. The self is the starting point. And we talked about this in our, in our story of how we got to now, that after the Enlightenment, the center, the center for understanding the world is the self. But the self, the way the self operates in a technological world is what a guy named Charles Taylor says. He calls it a buffered self. And what a buffered self is, is a self that is basically um, open to technology, but maybe cut off from questions of transcendence, questions of God. We're going to talk about that in a second. But the center point, the center point in a technological world is the self. What can I do? How can I use this technology to achieve what I think I want to achieve? And in a technolo technological mindset, everything I see, everything around me, more and more becomes a tool to an end. You think about a technology, a technology is, is, a, is an instrument, right? Everything is a tool to achieve an end. So to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? In a technological world, everything looks like a means to an end. The starting point is me. Now, now just, just to touch on this for a moment, you think about our hypersexualized world. If my understanding of sex and marriage, or even leave marriage out for a moment, just sex, if I'm the starting point and I have a need, I have a sexual need, then I'm going to look at the world around me as a potential means to achieve an end. And so it could be a woman or it could be a man or it could be anything. It could be porn, it could be anything. Whatever it is, is a thing that's going to help me achieve an end. It's a tool. To, so, so sex becomes a tool so that I'm satisfied, or to, sex becomes a tool so that I'm content, or whatever my goal happens to be. And so you see how, how that would affect something like marriage, which is a good created by God, which is a good in and of itself. If marriage is reduced to she or he is somehow the tool to make me happy even if she exists as a tool to make me happy still she's a tool and that's why I, that's just 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 a picture of that and so the self is a starting point and what happens is whatever gets in the way of what we what the self wants is treated as a, as an obstacle the other thing in a technological world is um, a technological world values novelty. Values novelty. Um, what is newer is better. Um, 
We're always looking for what is new. And so we're going to talk about this, but the thing about a technological world is where's our attention? Is it in the past or is it in the future? It's always in the future. And a technological world always looks for what is new, what is novel. And so we want to buy the latest gadget, not because necessarily we need it, but it's new and it can do the camera. You should see the camera on this new phone. It could take way better pictures. Well, maybe not way better, but a little bit better. And a technological world is interesting because it always puts our attention a little bit to the future, a little bit to the future. What's, what's, what's just around the corner? A technological world does not look too far into the future. It's interesting. You, you notice how, how when, whenever something new is coming, on, uh, coming out or some whatever new gadget that is, people are interested in, it is always coming out soon. Because the moment you say, hey, Mike, you know, in 15 years, you're like, 15 years? 15 years? Well, man, how old will I be in 15 years? Huh. What have I accomplished in life? Oh, no, no, yeah. See, a technological world doesn't want you to go down that road. It wants you to just see enough around the corner that you can be excited about what's coming up. But not enough that you actually begin to reflect on life. It's an interesting, it's an interesting way it affects us. The other thing is that a technological world values efficiency. One of the highest values of our culture is efficiency. And so much technology is meant to make us efficient. Whether or not it does is another question. It's funny, I was talking about this the other day, and, um, and I, I realized it was 9.30, our men's breakfast was over. And I'm like, oh shoot, I gotta stop. Because, you know, I, I need to be efficient. I said we're gonna, you know, it's just, but efficiency is a real important thing. And it affects everything. Everything needs to be done efficiently. And so I always uh, think of the story of this one, one fellow, he's a, he's a writer. Um, and he tells a story of, and I probably told you the story, but he's bathing his, 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 his kids and his kids are like two or three years old. And if ever, if you're a parent and if you've ever bathed little kids, you'll know they squirm, they're all over, they splash. And so he had his daughter and so he's, dry, he's trying to dry her off. And of course, she's like, da, 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 da. She's dancing around, dancing around, spinning around, singing and dancing. And he's like, hold still. I need to dry you off. And she kept dancing and kept dancing. And she says, hold still. I need to dry you off. She kept dancing and kept singing. And he goes, enough! Stop! I need to dry you off. Now. And she goes, why? And he thought to himself, he goes, there was no reason. He... he, he he wasn't going anywhere. Like, there's no, there no pressing reason for him to get this done quickly. But efficiency becomes a state of mind. 
Now, I'm not a guy, like, efficiencies, you know, it's not, it's not a bad thing, don't get me wrong, but it becomes a state of mind where everything needs to be done efficiently. The other thing in a technological world, as we, as we, um, as we go deeper and deeper into technology, is that it values complexity. It values complexity. Um, think about, think about your work. And think about your work compared to 10 years ago. So Sharon, you're a teacher. <laughs> you're a teacher. Have things changed as a teacher? Yeah. And have they, have they, have they simplified? Not at all. In fact, schools, it's interesting, in schools in the Tri-Cities, I know each school now specializes in something. So if you want to do sports, where do you go? Terry Fox. Right? If you want to do women's basketball, you go to, um, you go to Riverside. If you want to um, be challenged academically in a, in a very high level, you go to Glen Eagle or uh, Port Moody to the IB program, right? So every school, and if you're, if you're middle school and you're interested in arts, you go to Moody Middle. And so every school specializes now. And when you go to school, you have all the weight of courses that you need to take. You need to take the right, like maybe I grew up in a small town. There was no choices for courses. It's like you just have to take these courses. Um, but now everything's becoming more and more, more and more specialized. And you think about our degrees. Uh, I know a lot of people who go into medicine. But you can't just go into medicine to become a general practitioner, or very few actually want to be a general practitioner. Everyone has to specialize. So Philip, would you say the same thing in, in your field, in uh, physiotherapy and that, did, that things have become a little more specialized over the years, or, yeah? Well, and even the way you would intake patients and assess patients and evaluate them, it becomes more and more specialized. I know, because Hannah was telling me, like it's, there's, it's, it's, everything that we do is more and more specialized. And it makes our world more and more complex. I talked to a guy the other day who's, who's a mechanic. I said, well, tell me about cars. He goes, well, in some ways it's easier because it's just a computer. And if it's not working, you replace it with a new computer. It's expensive, but that's all you do. But no longer do you need to know how the car works or how this works, how this works. It's just, oh no, the computer's glitching, so I'll just replace the computer. The other thing that, um, with that is this idea of expertise. We, in a technological world, when there's a crisis, who do we turn to? The experts. Have we ever seen an example of that since, oh, I don't know, 2020? <laughs> No, I'm not against, again, I'm not against experts, but expertise has a lot of weight in a technological world. Of course, it values accuracy. Accuracy, measuring, is key to the success of anything. If you can measure something accurately, you can predict trends and you can make adjustments to make your organization successful. Good thing the church never falls into this. <laughs> Do you know how many conferences I've gone to and how many emails I get with the silver bullet 
to just transform your ministry into a highly catalytic change machine that will produce, think of the language, that will produce, so the language of technology, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It's the language of technology. Think of how much language you use that is, a techno is technological words. Okay, we just need to have a hard reset and rethink this. Like those sorts of languages. We use computer language for our humanness. That, I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you now. Um, that, it, do you know, in, uh, I think it's in the States, there's a contest every year called the Most Human Human Contest. Did I tell you about that already? Have I, have I told you that? The Most Human Human Contest? No? At the men's breakfast, you heard me, yeah. So there's this contest, it's called um, the Most Human Human Contest. And what happens is you have these people go every year, and you have the computer programmers, and you got other people coming, and the challenge is, is to be able to hear someone speak, you can't see them, hear them speak, and guess whether or not it's a computer or a person speaking, that you're communicating to a computer or a human being. And every year, it gets harder and harder, but apparently there's one guy, he wins every year. I don't know, somehow he can always tell. But they asked him, they said, is it getting harder? He goes, yes, it's getting harder. So why is it getting harder? Why do you think it's getting harder? Now you know the answer. Why is it getting harder? Because technology sounds so human. But that's not the case. You're right, that is true. But the reason why they're struggling is that human beings are sounding more and more like machines. Think about your text messages. Like, I now, like, I'm too lazy to write O. I just write K. Like, how bad is that? Like, when my son says, I'll be home in a half hour. K. And, and our language, and I think text messaging has exacerbated that, has just got into email and then text messaging, is our, 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 the way we communicate sounds more and more like machines rather than human beings. Um, the other thing in a technological world is our culture gets flattened for the sake of efficiency. Uh, I know it is different, but there used to be a day um, I know that they've tried to change it up a little bit. Somebody told me this. But if you went to a McDonald's in Beijing, if you went to Mai Tang Lao, which is McDonald's in Chinese, or Kandaji, which is Kentucky Fried Chicken, um, I traveled 12 hours with my buddies in 1990 to go to Shanghai to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken um, because it was the only Western restaurant in the south part of China. Um, and it tasted just like Kentucky Fried Chicken here. And the goal is, 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 is that through efficiency, you make everything the same. And, and as a result, in a technological world, because it's more efficient, you flatten. You think about bureaucracy. We talked about this last week, how a bureaucracy works. Think about technology and bureaucracy. You know, I can know you by name, but that's way too inefficient. And if, if you're one, you're two, you're three, you're four, you're five, you're six. Numbers are a lot easier. And they're more accurate, exactly. 
Yes, they're more accurate. Um, but there's this flattening that takes place too. And it, it flattens things because in order to deal, in order to deal on a massive scale efficiently, everything needs to be the same. So it actually has effect upon culture. It flattens things. One of the things, one of the characteristics of the last 50 years, you know, one of the biggest characteristics of the last 50 years is the disappearance of languages. Yeah, languages are disappearing. And the, what language is growing? English. Why is English growing? What's that? Because of the computer. There's another reason why English grows. Hollywood music, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a parasitic language. It is. It will take any. It will take any word from any other language and make it its own. And and not other uh, other languages don't do that. At least to, to the same degree. Think how many foreign words. <laughs> I remember. It's not funny. It's kind of funny. I remember. Um, I remember George W. Bush. Because, <laughs> you know, the French. The French, they have a word for entrepreneur. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, it's entrepreneur. <laughs> so poor George, yeah. It was kind of funny, though. The other characteristic of, um, of a technological world is, um, is comfort and convenience. Uh, whatever it takes to maintain comfort and whatever makes things convenient is highly valued. Now, think about since 2020. How many of you... Well, let me ask you, what percentage increase of buying online have you experienced? How many of you buy online more than you did two years ago? I see that hand, I see that hand. Yeah. What's that? A lot less. A lot less. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, what do they say? They, for adults, the new ice cream truck is the Amazon truck. <laughs> we see the Amazon truck coming in our neighborhood. We go jumping out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, during the pandemic, I, we ordered from Savon and just order our groceries and just, we did everything. Yeah. And it's convenient. But here's the challenge. We're talking about a Christian worldview. How do you talk about suffering? in a world that only values convenience and comfort and tries to avoid suffering. A couple more. It values control. Control is very important. Pragmatism. Um, in a technological world, one question is asked. What's the question? Just one word. How about that? One word. How? Yeah. The word how. How does it work? Which is basically what does it do, but how does it work? How is the iPhone this better than the iPhone that? How? How? How does this? How it is? How, everything's how. How will it make my life easier? Yes. What word is ignored? Why? Why? 
Why do I need a new iPhone? Why do I need a phone? Why do I need a phone? Status. Status, <laughs> yes. See, and this is important. This is, this is so important. And, and, and maybe I'll, I'll talk about it now because it's so important because if all you can do is ask how something works, what you miss out is the, is the deep purpose for something. How will she make me happy? I'm lonely. Not what is the purpose of marriage? What is the reason for marriage? Why does God give us marriage? Just how, I'm lonely. How, how can she help me? She can't? Maybe he can. Maybe they can. Maybe the screen can. And so those deeper questions of purpose, and, and the old word is telos, of destiny, of, 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 of deep purpose behind things, is ignored. And so, in a technological world, it, is, it shapes the way we think. And any problem that we face in this world is seen as a technological problem that we can fix. You think about the pandemic. Now, I'm not against, like, vaccines or anything. I'm not speaking about that. And, you know, there's some great technological developments, and, and we see that, and I'm not anti-science either. Um, but we live in a world where every problem is seen that we can fix it. And often the, the, the people that we turn to to fix it, as we talked about this last week, is the government. Um, the other thing is, you think about, um, you know, what do we do with all the crime in our neighborhood? What do we do with all the crime in our city? Well, we fix it. How do we fix it? Well, we put cameras on every corner. So there's nowhere you go in this city where you cannot be seen. Which is essentially the situation in much of England. I don't know if you know that. Much of England is under surveillance. But it's a trade-off, right? So what are the implications? We've touched on the, some of the implications. Um, what are the implications of a technical mindset? One, in a technological mindset, we're dislocated from time and space. When we're on our phones, when we're on our computers, where are we? We're not present. What kind of space are we entering into? Yes. Cyberspace. It's cyberspace. But cyberspace is not actually space. It's not actually space where we can inhabit. But think about your day. <laughs> How much of your day is spent in a false reality? And some of you all not me, but ah, dude, think about how often you check the scores, how often you're watching a game, or how often you're, 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 you're you know, you're in, you're in a cyberspace. You're on a site. You're somewhere else. And one of the dangers of this is that it does lift us out of the here and the now. How many of you have ever gone online for a particular reason forgot that particular reason only to discover after an hour why you actually originally went on. Yeah. It happens. It happens all the time. 
And our time, our time, time is suspended on the internet. And we are, secondly, we're prevented from asking big questions of life. And I think this is one of the biggest, biggest challenges. Because all we have on, 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 at our fingertips is information. We have more, informa more information than we could possibly comprehend. But where's the knowledge we've lost in the information? Where's the wisdom we've lost in knowledge? That's what T.S. Eliot asked. And what happens is you have so much information, information, and we think information is wisdom. But here's a problem. You have information. How do you differentiate what is important and what's not important? Whatever you feel. But, but actually how it's shaped in terms of what is important is what you see a lot online. And so I remember when there was a crisis in the Sudan. Thousands of people were dying daily. And at the same time, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. If you looked at the information that was on your feed, which is more important? Probably Kobe Bryant, because that was on every news site. You had to dig deep before you even saw anything about the Sudan. So what happens in a technological world Information, we, have, we lose the ability to distill what is actually important and what isn't. Everything, again, is flattened. Oh, Putin, I don't know if you heard, invaded Ukraine, right? I'm trying to think what kind of pop, I read some pop thing <laughs> today. Gas prices are at $1.80. Trudeau invoked the War Measures Act, or the Emergency Act. I was going to say, yeah. Kim Kardashian apparently is dating a comedian. I don't know his name. What's that? Yes. Now, I don't know how, how he can date... Kim Kardashian, but the thing is, I probably know as much about Kim Kardashian dating this guy as I do about what's going on in Ukraine, because I've read it. That's how that's how the news works. Well, that's and and but I'm taught to care to the same degree about Kim Kardashian, who she's dating, as well as with what's going on in Ukraine, and we can't differentiate the two. And so, big questions now. Big questions are hard because, and this is this one book, it's a really interesting book um, called um, Disruptive Witness by a guy named Alan Noble. He says, here's the challenge, because you have all this news, all this information floating around, and you can't differentiate what's important, what's not important, then what happens is you say, well, you know, Putin's invaded Ukraine, uh, Kim Kardashian's dating this guy, and, and Jesus died for your sins. And you hear Jesus died for your sins. And it's simply another news item that's no different from this and this and this. And so I could listen to it or I may not. I may, it's, it's all the same. It's all information. 
apparently Jesus died for my sins. Apparently Putin invaded uh, uh, Ukraine. Apparently this and this. They're all the same. And I can't differentiate what, what is actually life-giving and what's not. You can't. It's all flattened. And this is a problem. Because I can look, I can go through my information and say, oh, Jesus died for my sins. Huh, that's kind of important, but delete. I'll look at the next thing. What's the next story on my life? It is, but, but in a technological world, the reality of Jesus dying for my sins is simply a news item like any other news item. And I, and I don't have the skills, in a technological world, doesn't allow me to develop the skills to be able to differentiate between what is mundane and what is sublime. No, I, I, and I, of course we would agree it's not news, but, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's not news. Well, that's the thing. I know, but I think that that might be part of the problem because if I tweet, Jesus died for your sins, and I also tweet, the Toronto Maple Leafs beat Washington 5-3, they're both, they're both tweets. And people both, if they follow me on Twitter, they see both these things. And on a ground level, you're, those are just two news items. Now, of course I agree, one is, one's not a news item. But the way technology shoehorns it into this kind of expression, by its very nature, undermines the poignancy of what it's saying. That's part of the problem. We lose the context. We lose the con yeah, very good. Yeah, we, we, we lose the context. And, and we lose the gravity of, of it all. And, and part of the challenge to this is, again, in a technological world, where's our attention? Is it to the past or to the future? To the future. Well, to the near future, right? To the immediate present and the near future. In a technological world, all of our hope all of our dreams lies in what is to come. Just wait till the new iPhone comes out. I'm so excited. It's coming out. It's going to solve all my... Well, I don't know what it's going to solve, but it's coming out. It's going to be really good. Um, and just, you know, because we have this issue in the world, we have this pandemic, just wait till we solve that problem. Just, just wait. Just around the corner, the technology will come where we can... It's always future-oriented, Right? Do you know up until the Enlightenment, if you were to ask somebody, where is wisdom found? How would they answer that? Or not just wisdom, where is all knowledge found? All knowledge is found in the past. All knowledge is a reflection of people from the past. And so knowledge, so if you wanted to know something, you look back. You don't look forward. That changes with Descartes and, and, and Francis Bacon. It, it changes radically. 
Because Descartes says everything in the past doesn't matter. I think, therefore, I am. That's all I can know, so let's work from that and move forward. But here's the thing. In a technological world, what do we do with old technology? We toss it. I always said that. I said that on the men's breakfast. I said, uh, I said, if I offered you, there's a kid there, if I offered you an iPhone 3GS, what would you do? He goes, I'd take it. I, my dad doesn't allow me to have a phone. <laughs> that was quite funny. But if I offered somebody an iPhone 3 or an iPhone 4, you'd be like, what are you doing? This is old technology. If I offered you an 8-track tape player, you know, be like, okay, that's kind of nostalgic, but it's pretty useless. If, uh, if you know, again, it came over to your house and I brought in the the hi-fi that I had in the 70s and say, you know, here it is, this is a really nice hi-fi, and you're like, I don't have room for it, it's old. In a technological world, we take old things and we throw them out. Old things are obsolete and we throw them out. The past is old. Yeah, and that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about uh, the, the commo uh, commodities and how there's built-in obsolescence. Yeah, absolutely. But I would still say just in technology as a whole, our hope is future-oriented rather than the past-oriented. And I do think what you're saying, though, is because of, um, of the built-in obsolescence, we look at old things, things that are old, as no longer useful and we throw them out but the problem is is that this shapes our mind to look at things from the past as useless things that are old are useless and that's i that's why i say it's it's not just it's not just that it, this has huge implications because how do you tell somebody that 2,000 years ago, the Son of Man, the Word became flesh, and people look at you. Eve, you tell your middle school, your middle school or high school students, you know, 2,000 years, people are like, honestly, I don't even know what took place last week. You want me to talk about 2,000 years ago? 2,000 years, that's like, it's like older than my dad, you know, that's like, you know, that's like, that's the olden days. So how do you tell people about the gospel? when people don't care what took place two weeks ago or three weeks ago. See, this is a problem. Now, you keep going. And we, you know, if in a technological world, if something is useful and something is novel, it's valued. What do you do with something that's old and no longer useful? You throw it out. What do you do with senior citizens who are no longer useful? Well, there's medical assistance and dying. There's made. Because, honestly, if, if you're an older person, you're, you're using up a lot of resources. That's not efficient. That's not efficient. You're using up a lot of resources 
if you just took the medical assistance in dying, it's like that. It saves a country a lot of money. Your kids and all that, they can split the estate sooner. They don't have to wait till you, you know, another, till you finally kick the bucket. And it's all good. And if you live in a culture where there's no inherent dignity, see, see, I would say every human being has been imbued with the dignity and value because they're made in the image of God. That is the telos. That is, the, the, that is why they exist. If you remove that, and it's just how useful are you, and you're not, and you're old, well, what do you do with old things that are no longer useful? Get rid of it. Well, I, I, I don't... Hang on, hang on, hang on, Maxine. Yeah. Yeah. But you look at some countries in Europe, for example, and I, like, I, I had a friend of mine, she was Swedish, and she was scared to death to go back to Sweden. She goes, I'm old. She goes, if I go into a hospital, I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out. Yeah, that's, yeah. And, and, and many of the Nordic countries are, are that way. And it's not just old, it's young. If, if you're, yeah, anyhow, it carries on. But, but that, I think what's behind that is a techno technological mindset. So I'm setting up the pretty bleak, uh, bleak thing. Let me, <laughs> I better get to some good news soon. Okay. Um, we turn her back to our past. We're uncomfortable with ourselves. In a technological world, um, I find that not a lot of people want to spend much time alone with their thoughts. Distraction is a big characteristic of a technological world. How many of you are okay with silence? Okay, good. I find people get twitchy even on elevators. And you notice that, I mean, there's a few places in the world where you could be alone and quiet. One would be an elevator, typically. But now on an elevator, they have screens on elevators with news and things like that. Have you noticed that? In a lot of uh, buildings, they have, you know, the weather, and what's going on in the world. It's like, oh, that's good. We can all look at something, right? Um, Go on the SkyTrain and see how many people are on their devices. I just like watching people on their devices. I just think it's, it's, it's quite, quite interesting. There's something inherently good about nothing, about doing nothing in silence. In, the, in Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, Screwtape, who's an experienced demon giving advice to an inexperienced demon on how to tempt a newly converted Christian, gets mad at Wormwood. Why? Because Wormwood allowed the person that he's supposed to be tempting to do what, Mike? <laughs> to go for a walk and in, in silence, yeah. To go for a walk, he goes... You allowed him to go for When he goes for a walk, he's alone with his thoughts. Don't do that. And this is written in the 40s, right? Uh, 
I like uh, Alan Noble. The beauty of using my iPhone as an alarm clock is that when I reach over to turn it off, I'm only a few taps away from the rest of the world. And I think we are distracted. Distraction is, is a big part of the technological world. And our attention span, and more and more studies are showing. Um, yeah, that's good, Mike. Yeah, but the, the noise, noise, <laughs> yeah. That screw tape, the goal of, the, of, the, of hell is, and the reality of hell is noise. It's just surrounded by constant noise. Um, we talked about this, our world is increasingly uh, abstract. One of the other things, and we talked about this uh, with uh, politics, but in a technological world, our world is mediated. Our world is mediated. If you go for a walk in the woods, if you go for a walk along the Coquitlam River, you're going there, and whatever you experience, you're thinking, not maybe not you guys, but you, you, you're thinking, ha, huh, this is a cool experience. I can take a picture of this and post this. Or, this is a good experience. It's good for me to go for a walk because it's beneficial to my health. Again, is you're not just enjoying the walk, you're seeing what is the use and how, what is the use? Think about a technological world. What is the use? I told you the story when I went, we were hiking with my kids when they were little and we saw this beautiful mountain and, and my daughter says, take a picture. And I said, why? Well, so you have it. And I said, I don't need to have it. I said, I'll remember it. And she just looked at me, are you crazy? You know, take a picture. Of course you're going to take a picture and then post it. Otherwise it didn't really happen. But think about how everything is mediated. For those of you who are in school, one of the questions is asked, what, what are you studying? So, oh, I'm studying this. And what's the next question that somebody's going to ask you if you're in school? What are you going to do with that? What is the, what is the, how is this degree a tool to do what? I remember when I did my doctorate, people were saying, so, huh, Pastor David, you want to you be a senior pastor somewhere? I'm like, Actually, no. Well, you're, you're doing your doctorate, so what's your plan? I said, just to do my doctorate. Well, what, what do you hope to do with that? I said, I don't know. Put it up on my wall. Um, <laughs> like, I'm just, and well, why are you studying John Barrett, which nobody's ever heard of? And I said, because he's interesting. And people just looked at me like I was crazy. But people can study just for the sake of studying. There's a good in and of itself. But everything becomes a tool, right? Now, the big deal in this is that in a technological world where everything is a means to an end, God and how we see God is affected. In a technological world, God does not disappear. No. He's there. But he's shoved to the side or he's reduced to a means. God exists to make me happy. You know, I find my work is so busy, so I think prayer really helps. Okay, so what does prayer become? A tool for the goal of me feeling better. And I, keep, I always share this one story, but I remember running with this guy, and uh, he was trying to impress me for some reason, I don't know why, but we're, we're out for a run. He says, you know, Pastor David, he goes, when I grow up, not when I grow up, he goes, when I get older, he goes, 
My goal is to be a man of God. And I said to him, I said, that's really stupid. He goes, well, what do you mean? It's good to be a man of God. I said, no. I said, you can be a man of God. I said, if that's your goal, you can miss Jesus. Your goal is not to be a man of God. Well, then what, Jesus is the means? He's the tool for you to become a man of God? No, I said, Jesus is the goal. No, the byproduct, maybe you become a man of God, but don't let that be your goal. Because you, you can miss, miss Jesus in all this. It's, it's really important. But God is eclipsed. And mystery and imagination is, is eclipsed. And relationships are undermined. Because again, we talked about this. If I look at you rather than my friend. Mike, you're my friend. If I say, man, I'm going to become friends with Mike. Because he really needs to hear the gospel. That sounds really good, doesn't it? But I've reduced Mike to an It. He's now a means to a different end. Even for, even for a noble end. That's not friendship. I'm using him. Oh, you know, you think about strategic friendships at work. Oh, I'm going to enter into this strategic friendship because I know by being friends with him, that's not friendship. You're using them. And so what a guy named Martin Buber, who is um, a Jewish theologian, he says, you go from an I-thou relationship to an I-it relationship. You know about that, eh, Teresa? You've studied Martin Buber at uh, that region. Yeah. So, what is a Christian response? Oh, the other thing is, oh yeah, the other, one more thing in a technological world is that we're busy. We have all these time-saving devices, but we are busy. We are busy. But I've said this before, what is the meaning of sloth? Busyness, yeah. Because you're so busy doing the things that don't really matter. Okay, so what is a Christian response? I'm going to give you guys two minutes. Okay, you guys can put it up on the chat. Without looking ahead in your notes, some of you have already looked ahead in your notes, but try to forget what you just saw. Um, think about what are, what are some Christian responses to all the things that we've just said? What are some practices that we could take on, and how would it push back against the technological mindset? Okay, so just take two minutes to do that. Yeah, we got some good ones on here. Using technology to glorify God, watching uh, biblical teaching and worship songs, go hiking. Uh, Jessica, yeah, I heard you, saw you say um, about uh, meeting people in person. Yeah. What do you guys think? Fasting. Fasting. Why is fasting a big deal? Yeah, good. So fasting to be to prayer, yeah. So uh, Eve was saying about fasting, about prayer. Um, you, it's an opportunity to slow down. It does push back against the hurry sickness of our culture and the and uh, the comfort obsessed nature of our culture. Um, yeah, and so and fasting from a number of things, right? Fasting from from technology, <laughs> fasting from social media, uh, as well as just fasting from from food, right? Yeah. Oh, solitude is really important. Yeah, and true solitude. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that sometimes when I'll, I'll go for, um, when I'm driving, I'll just, I won't have anything on. My default is always to put on whatever 
I have an old car, whatever tape I happen to have or, or CD. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sitting in your car in silence. Yeah, which is a great cell. It's like a monastic cell. You can just stay in your car. Nobody can speak to you. Yeah. Yeah, start the day connecting with God. So start the day at right. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Good. Yeah, prioritize meeting, working, being with people in person rather than virtually. Yeah. Make sure quality with God and family is never taken away from you. Absolutely. Well, that's, see, uh, Phoebe, that's really important. You think about the difference between playing Spotify and learning to play guitar. One is a lot easier, and probably even sounds better, yeah. <laughs> right? Especially if you're learning violin. Um, but which will have a, a greater formative effect upon you, upon your soul? Yeah, th that's a really good point. Um, Andy Crouch talks about that, but the importance, the difference between playing a CD, he says, and, and learning to play an instrument. He says, when you play a CD, when you play a song, a really good song, your, your, your pleasure is up high immediately. The moment you hear a song, I've never heard this song before, this song is awesome! And you play it, 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 and, and, and then the return starts to really drop. You learn to play the violin, and you play it. It's not really pleasant for you or for other people. And you play it, and you play it, and you play it. But then, then, once you start to learn it, you learn it, it doesn't get old. It just keeps going up. It just keeps going up. Or when you listen to music, it peaks and it'll fall very quickly. When you learn an instrument, it just, there, there's no end, right? Well, Rush never gets old. So that's kind of like the exception. <laughs> right, brothers? <laughs> I don't say sisters because no, I don't know very many women that like Rush. <laughs> so, okay, what are some things? Um, we can re rediscover the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God in his very nature is, is a plurality. Like God is one and three and three and one. Um, God in his very nature is relational. In his very nature is relational. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the deep love that the Son has for the Father and the Father for the Son and the gift of the Spirit. This pushes up against an individualized, atomized, just me, I don't need anybody else kind of approach to life. Because the Christian model is not individual. We're not individuals, but we are persons. We are persons in community. This is really important. Uh, we need to rediscover the doctrine of the incarnation for many reasons, but one is just the importance of our bodies and being embodied. Our bodies matter. 
Thirdly, we need to speak in dialogue rather than using words as a tool. Part of our challenge on social media is that you have millions and millions of people speaking outwards. You have millions and millions of individuals speaking this way. And our interaction is, I like that comment. Oh, I like that comment. Good point. Good point. But it's, it's this way. It's not like this. It's a very strange medium, social media, for communication. It is millions of monologues. Millions of monologues and no dialogue. It's, and, and, and just the very nature of the technology undermines communication. And people are like, well, I don't want to go online. Everybody's just always yelling. Well, no kidding. It's the very nature of the medium that shapes how the message is, is carried out. Because if everyone's speaking outwards, if everyone is speaking at someone, then you're not going to have dialogue. You can't have dialogue. You know, at most you'd be polite, but it's not true dialogue where you're looking at a person in their eyes and you're seeing their, 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 their body language and you're reading them. And so no wonder there's so much toxic, it's so toxic online, right? We need to pursue, that's my next point, we need to pursue face-to-face -face relationships as much as possible. Jessica, you, you brought up that point. Um... We have instant messaging in the workplace, and it is efficient. But sometimes I'm sending a note, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, Brett is next to my office. <laughs> like, he's literally, I could open my door and say, hey, Brett. But here I'm like, hey, Brett, you know, I need this. You know, everyone just start typing. It's like, why? He's right there. Like, he's, he's literally next door to me. And I remember uh, the, my uh, old mentor, the late uh, Don Lewis, from Regent College, and he made a point of this, and I'll, I'll never forget this. He said, because email, it can be quite, and this is even before texting, right? But email, you'd be quite short in the way you speak. He made a point, he says, it's, it's email, but I'm going to treat each email like a letter. So, dear David, how are you, my friend? These are, like, and he'd write in full sentences, and he'd conclude yours, you know, Warmly done. And that spoke to me. Um, so you can push back. You can push back and, 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 and make a point to actually use full sentences in terms of how you communicate, even on, online. The other thing, we need to have our imaginations recovered. What are some good books that will help you? Well, okay, first off, books. That's important. Um, what, what are some good books that will stoke the imagination? Let me hear from you. Come on, throw some up on the screen. Jordan Peterson? <laughs> Narnia. Yeah, of course, Narnia. What else? Yeah, just, just throw out some books that, that stoke the imagination. And you don't have to be impressive. It could be, you know, Daniel Steele's latest or whatever. I'm just saying it could be anything, right? Narnia, Harry Potter, yeah. Yeah, that's Lord of the Rings. Yeah, very good. Green Ember, uh, Cinderella, fair, Fairy Tales. That's good, Joseph, Josephine. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, fairy tales are good. When I just Five Little Indians. Yeah, I've heard that's quite good. Yeah, it's quite powerful. Yeah. Brother Grimm's stories. The Bible. Pete, well done. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. The Bible. Oh, the Wheel of Time. The first of the six books, not the seventh? No, okay. Stop there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we need to do whatever we can to stoke the imagination. And one of the ways we do that is we reducing screen time. Ironically, as we look on the screen, and I'm right, Tintin, Asterix as well. Don't forget about Asterix. Um, we need to recover the givenness and the revelation of this world, that we are not the authors of reality. We're not in control of reality. There's a givenness to this world. We need to reaffirm the goodness and meaning of marriage and family. Now, I think this is important. And I know in our world, we talk a lot about singleness, and singleness is really important, don't get me wrong. But I have heard that in Vancouver, 50% of the households are single-dwelling households. Um, two weeks ago in England, for the first time in England's history, more women under the age of 35 have, do not have children than do have children. Um, and so you have this increasing isolation and a turning away of marriage. Now, I get that. Why wouldn't you turn away from marriage? Because marriage is useless. Right? It's useless. You can just sleep with whoever. You don't have to get married. That's so old-fashioned. Because that means there's something beyond my comfort. But marriage is... Is, is a picture. What does Paul say? You know, it's, it's, it reflects Christ's relationship, Christ's love for the church. There's something profoundly mysterious about marriage. It's God's gift to humanity. And I think, you know, as a church, we need to remember this because we live in an increasingly lonely world and in a world where people have lost hope. They are not having children. Like, I don't know if you're, we don't have time to go into it, but very few Western countries, in fact, I can list, I think there's one or two Western nations has a replacement population birth rate. Replacement population is 2.2. Spain is 0.9. I think Canada is, does anybody know, I think it's 1.4 or 1. It's, it's pretty low. There's only one country that has a replacement population in Europe. Can you guess? Not England. No, no, in, in, in Europe. It's not Ireland, no. It's not, Spain is really low. Poland. Yeah, Poland is, yeah. Yeah. So the other thing we need to do is we need to reaffirm and engage in Christian friendship. Friendship is important. And part of friendship is to listen to one another, to extend the gift of listening to one another. We need to repent of hubris and autonomy. We are not masters of our lives. And we need to regain, and you guys have already touched on this, ancient spiritual rhythms such as secrecy, 
Secrecy. If it doesn't go on Instagram, did it still happen? Yes. And, and, and we, there's so much, the way we do with social media and the way we try to, and Christians are masters at this, you know, where we'll say things, you know, I'm just so humbled to have won this great award, you know, um, or I'm just so humbled to be number one at, you know, <laughs> and, and so we have to be careful because sometimes we could use social media and we pretend it's secrecy, but it's not. I think just because something happens doesn't need to be tweeted. It doesn't need to go on social media. Facebook. Or Facebook, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything does not need to go on Facebook, yeah, including your dirty laundry, which, yeah. Sabbath is really important. We didn't talk about that, did we? We didn't talk about Sabbath. Yeah, where, where you stop, yeah. Solitude, we did talk about solitude. Listening, again, listening well. Fasting, Eve, you talked about that. Remembering, remembering. Dr. Proven talked about this. And how many times in Scripture, in the Old Testament, does it talk about remember, remember, calling upon Israel, remember. And the problem with the technological world, we're instant, or instant, we're caught in this cubicle of the present, and we don't reflect on life, on where we come from and where we're going. And the importance of quietude. What is the chief end of man, according to the Westminster Confession of Faith? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So, that's the context for understanding technology. And I do think, as Dr. Proven said, um, I, he spoke to uh, the young adults, and uh, I think one of the questions was, what, what words of wisdom do you have to, to the young adults? And his... his, his his, his words were this. He said, you guys need to decide, and I think this applies to everyone, not just young adults. We need to decide how far back from technology we're going to step. Not whether we're going to step back, but how far back we're going to step because it is affecting us and affecting our souls in ways that are really dangerous. I'm convinced that so much of the angst that we see in our world today is, is connected to technologies. Anyhow, so that's what I have to share with you tonight. Let me close our time in prayer. Sorry, I was inefficient. We went two minutes over, but let me uh, close our time. Oh, oh, I do need to say this, um, because some of you will be very lonely next week. We don't have class next week. Right? We don't have class next week, and there's two reasons for that. One is that this is a, a college course, and it's reading week next week. And secondly, all of our staff are on a retreat, our staff retreat. So we're away next week, we, anyhow. So we're going to pick things up, not next Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. And what we're going to look at is going to be a lot of fun, because we're going to look at work and calling. And how does God call us? How do we know what he's calling us to? How do we discern this? And what is the importance of work? These are pretty important questions for our lives. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Okay? So let's, uh, let's pray and we'll go from, from, from here. And I'll go to have my pancakes. Okay. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. And Lord, we do pray that you would teach us to hear your voice. 
there's so much noise, as Mike was saying, like in screw tape letters, it's just noise, noise, noise. It's the, it's the language of hell. And we are surrounded with so much noise. And so help us, especially as we enter into the season of Lent, as we anticipate Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, as we prepare our hearts to remember what you have done, Jesus, for us, and just all the difference that this makes to all of reality, including our lives. We do pray that you would teach us to step back and to listen carefully to you. That's our desire. We confess that we, we are so distracted that we miss you half the time. But you're kind and you're patient. And so tonight we come back to you and we pray that we would be attentive to your voice in our lives. And we would have the courage to respond to what you say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.